How or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, or another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink." The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Questions 55 and 56 of the Heidelberg Catechism say this, and we consider some of these things together this evening. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that all that believers, one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it his duty to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins, nor my sinful nature which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, in his grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgment. And we will consider chiefly that first question and answer number 55. So we ask ourselves this evening, what do the truths about the church teach us about how we think of ourselves and how we think of one another? Or we could say it another way, how are we to treat one another? To answer this question, we turn to this passage in 1 Corinthians. It can often be difficult to jump right into a book in the middle of it and and try to find our bearings as it relates to the entire letter, especially a letter that is as fun and adventurous as 1 Corinthians. So we should remind ourselves of a few things. Paul is, in 1 Corinthians, addressing problems that the believers in Corinth were having. That's what he spends a lot of his time doing throughout the letter. They quarreled and they fought over many non-essential issues, some important, some not as important, and some primary issues as well. They would elevate things that were not important to the highest importance, and they would forget what was most basic to the faith. In chapter 12, Paul is addressing a different problem. The Corinthians had an unhealthy approach to the gifting of the Holy Spirit which each Christian receives. They were treating it as a competition, how the Spirit had enabled them to serve the body. They were desiring the gifts that they thought were the most flashy for their own puffing up of themselves, 
They were not looking upon it as a gift for the building up of the church. We see this in athletic competitions at times. Of course, uh, I would not know, but what I've heard is that there's a a big game of uh, pigskin going on right now. And at the end of this so-called important game, they will crown an MVP, a most valuable player. Last year, there was a, a bit of a surprise as to who won the MVP of this game. It was a defensive lineman. Usually, you don't see those kinds of players win MVP awards. Usually, it's a quarterback or someone who touches the ball regularly, regularly or someone who scores a lot of touchdowns. And, of course, it would certainly never be an offensive lineman. If you were seeking glory on the field of play, that would be the last position you would want to play. Because although they are extremely important to the team's success, they often go unnoticed. It seems that in 1 Corinthians, Paul is convinced that too many are wanting to be glorified superstars of the church, but they do not even have a decent understanding of the importance of certain gifts. They don't know which gifts are truly important. What is most basic to this passage in 1 Corinthians 12 is that the Holy Spirit gifts and equips believers so that the whole church can be blessed and built up in the faith. The 55th answer to the catechism brings our attention to this very thing. All believers share in Christ and all his treasures and gifts. And they are to use their gifts for the service of the other members. In a world where people too often think about their own gifts or their own talents in terms of a a way that they can exalt themselves and advance their own name, we are to think of the way the Holy Spirit gifts us and equips us as a means to build up everyone else in Christ's body. So we turn to this passage and first we'll look at the first three verses And how we share in the truth. We share in the truth. The first point to notice is that centrally truth is what Paul is getting at. Look even at the end of verse 1. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant. Paul says this with reference to the situation at hand. Reference to the gifting of the Spirit He wants them to know about how the Holy Spirit gifts them. But he also says this with a general reference to things. He does not want the Corinthians to be ignorant. He writes to teach them the truth. And it is ultimately not just these truths, but the truth which anchors the fellowship that all believers have and that all believers share. If our fellowship is not in the truth, then it is not useful at all. Paul makes this point in another way by reminding the Corinthians that before they joined the Christian church, they worshipped false idols. And their worship back then was in vain. The idols they worshipped were not rooted in the truth. And therefore they were led astray by them. A main reason for these idols leading them astray is that they were literally without voice. It's a Greek word. Without voice. They could not speak. Idols, of course, stand in stark contrast to God who speaks and reveals truth to his people. That's what makes God true and that's what makes God a real God. He speaks and he reveals his truth. It is therefore within 
the truth of God that the Spirit of God operates. We must always think of the Holy Spirit as connected to the truth. Can God's Spirit work in someone to believe or to speak something that is false? Of course not. For this reason, Paul pits two confessions against one another in verse 3, one that is true and one that is false. On the one hand, the Spirit of God would never work in anyone to say that Jesus is cursed. This is a blasphemous saying, and anyone who would be led to say so would not be led by the Spirit of God. On the other hand, the only way that one can utter the true confession that Jesus is Lord is by the work of the Holy Spirit. The text says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the working of the Spirit. This is what all Christians share. This is what all Christians have in common. It's what is most basic to being a follower of Christ. To know and profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we can only utter such truth by the Holy Spirit working in and working through us. We can think back to last week where Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which is really another way of saying you are the Lord. And we saw how last week the Holy Spirit was working through that confrontation between Jesus and Peter to produce Peter's ability to say that true confession. No one can profess the truth of Christ without the working of the Spirit. This is the gospel message. Now, Peter is called blessed just by professing what is true about Jesus Christ. And that is what is true of all Christians. You see, through faith, something as simple as faith, as trusting in someone outside of ourselves, we share in the blessings of Christ. All the things that he won for us on the cross and in the resurrection, they come to us through the instrument of faith. Christ represents us. Through Christ we are forgiven of all of our sin. We share in the blessings of Christ by faith. We share in the blessings of Christ by believing the truth, by believing what is true. Not only do we share in Christ, but we are called to share with one another. Because as we have fellowship in Christ and in his blessings, his spirit works within the midst of the church to equip us to share blessings with one another. The story does not simply end with with belief in Christ or professing Christ. We are called to share with one another. Notice in verses 4 through 6, there is a variety of gifts which the Holy Spirit gives to God's people. Paul tells us in such a beautiful way, there are different kinds of gifts in verse 4, but the same Spirit Verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Notice what Paul does here. Three statements right in order. Same spirit, same Lord, same God. Spirit, Lord, and God. Triune reference, of course, to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, showing us that it is the triune God that is working within us. All of the gifts and capabilities that are given to God's people are gifts of grace that come from the Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. And we remember through this that we are dependent on the grace of God for all things. Dependent on the grace of God for all things and especially in the life of the church. Especially as we share the blessings that God has given to us, the way that God has equipped us to serve one another. We're dependent on the grace of God. We will see in this passage that it is our own modern assumptions that we often tend to bring to this passage. And that it clouds our understanding into thinking that Paul is speaking here only of miraculous gifts and miraculous signs and wonders. But Paul is saying that even gifts and abilities that are developed over long periods of time in what seem like very natural ways to us, gifts that are developed over the long haul with lots of practice, they are still given to us by the Spirit of God. The same Spirit who gifts all of God's people. Why does God do this? What is His end or His purpose? Look at the end of verse 7. He does it for the common good. We ask ourselves, does Paul mean the common good of our nation, of our state, of our community? No, it's for the common good of the church. It's for the common good of the communion of saints. That is why, primarily why, we have these gifts of the Spirit. To serve one another, to serve the body of Christ, to build one another up, to keep the body healthy and functioning. We see that there are various kinds of various gifts. We see that in verses 8 through 13. So that's fine. And we do these things for the common good. And we see that perhaps we bring our own modern assumptions to this text. But for a lot of Reformed folk, this is usually where we kind of start to get uncomfortable with passages like this. Uh, we, we don't want to engage with it anymore because uh, Paul starts talking about all these things that uh, generally we, we, we don't see in our tradition. And, and so we're like, okay, that's, that's about as far as we want to go. But there's so much here that is good for the life of the church and good for us to remember. As we turn to this list of various gifts, we find that it describes all kinds of ways that God gifts his people and all kinds of ways that God is still active and gifting us to be part of his church. It's important to, re- to remember this fundamental truth. And I think it is, it is we, get, we get started on the wrong foot so much in our modern assumptions, what we bring to the Bible and uh, the American experience of Christianity and all kinds of things, we need to remember this fundamental truth, that not all miraculous things are from the Holy Spirit. And not all things that are from the Holy Spirit are miraculous. That's a very important fundamental truth to understand. Not all things that seem miraculous to us are from the Holy Spirit. And not all things that are from the Holy Spirit are miraculous. The ultimate test is truth. Is what is being said true? That is the ultimate test. There have been various movements in the church in the last century that have centered their life upon the miraculous or the so-called miraculous, but listen to these various examples of the gifts that God gives to his people. 
Paul's list is a sampling. It's not exhaustive. And so uh, we can just look at each one of these briefly and make a few comments and see what Paul is telling us. The first is message of wisdom. The message of wisdom. It's more accurately translated words of wisdom. This is the ability to speak well and to speak with insight into various matters of the church. The Spirit Spirit gives many people the ability to talk about things with more eloquence than most people. It's the ability to deliberate, to talk well, to speak with wisdom, to speak eloquently. The second gift is the message or words of knowledge. This is not like the first one exactly. It's not the ability to speak eloquently necessarily, but it's the ability to teach the truth of God's word. Some people have both of these first two gifts, and others just have one. Too often people think that Paul is saying that in some some sort of ecstatic state, people will receive a message that they then pass along to the church. But that is not what Paul means. It's a very natural process that involves practice and development of a skill. People who speak well in the church often read books on rhetoric and how to speak in public. The Holy Spirit works through all of those things to be able to equip people to be able to speak in a way that can be understood. And in order to teach the scriptures well, you should know Greek and Hebrew and theology and church history. Learning all of those things can be Very painstaking, sometimes more to seminary wives than seminary students. All of it takes time, but it is no less by means of the Holy Spirit that one is able to do it. The next gift that Paul mentions is faith. This is not saving faith, for we all have saving faith. But what Paul means is giftedness that certain people have to trust the Lord in tough times. I'm sure all of you know you have seen examples of Christians who have a solid faith in tough times. And think about how many people in the church benefit from having those kinds of people in our midst. The kind of people who can point you to Christ in tough times. It's not saving faith. It is the ability to have an extraordinary faith to encourage other believers. Paul mentions gifts of healing. This is really a broad category that means all different kinds of healing, both physical and spiritual. The gift of miraculous healing, which was really given to establish the truth about the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus and the apostles did. And so therefore, at the end of the age of the apostles, the miraculous gifts of healing ceased. But the apostles had a special commission to do those kinds of works. And so that's why... We don't see that anymore. But now there are still many people who have a giftedness to be able to care for others and bring healing. We live in a world that perhaps it is skewed for us as we look back into the age of Scripture because we have so much access to medical care. But in the church especially, we see that there are some people who step up And attend to others as they come home from the hospital or they need various kinds of things to uh, various kinds of help. And there are so many people in the church who are willing and gifted to give that kind of help. To lend a helping hand. This can also mean the ability to care for someone's soul. 
And probably many of you have examples of friends who will listen to your struggles, who will remind you of the truth of God's word. Through all of those things, God is ministering to you, to your soul. And this gift of soul care is something that many people in the church have. It does not mean just physical healing, but it can also mean spiritual healing. The Spirit is working in all of these ways. Paul uses the phrase miraculous powers. This translation does not do much to prevent us thinking about the miraculous, does it? When he uses miraculous powers. But this could actually be translated this way. The capability of all kinds of mighty acts. The power to do all kinds of mighty things. That's really what Paul is saying. Does that mean that it on, it's only uh, the casting out, demon, casting out of demons or uh, the miraculous healings that we saw Jesus and the apostles doing? No. This is the ability that the Spirit gives to do all kinds of mighty things in the church. For instance, the many people who have stood up and who have fought for the truth of the gospel against all odds and have seen God do wonderful things to preserve the truth in the church. Whether it be the early church fathers who wrote so beautifully and eloquently against various heresies or the reformers who brought the church back to the truth of the gospel message. We can look to perhaps one of the greatest heroes, certainly in our tradition and probably in the entire Protestant church, John Calvin. And perhaps many of you know this, but he was miserably sick for almost all of his life, to the point where most days he was basically on the brink of shutting down. He was almost never healthy, and at his more transparent moments in his letters, he describes the many ways in which his health was terrible. He had chronic asthma, he had migraines almost daily, pleurisy, tuberculosis. He had nearly constant influenza with bouts of fever all throughout his life. And I'll, I'll save you some of the more gory details. And that just kind of scratches the surface of the various things that he had. And yet his work in the church is still not only felt, but he is probably the theologian who has read the most in all of the world because he was gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do a mighty act for the good of the church, for the truth of the gospel. Various kinds of mighty acts. Paul mentions prophecy. This is not just what we think of as a prophet receiving an inspired word to then declare it directly to God's people. It does include that, but of course with the Old Testament and the New Testament prophets ceasing at the end of the apostolic age, that's no longer part of the life of the church. But it can also mean someone who preaches or speaks before God's people to bring out the mysteries of Christ, who can delve deeply into the scriptures and who can bring out its meaning for God's people. Distinguishing between spirits, Paul, Paul also mentions. This is really the gift of discernment, the ability to distinguish between what is true and what is false. Leaders of the church can have a gift like this. Lay people can have a gift like this as well. The ability to perceive truth from error. 
Paul also mentions, then finally, different kinds of tongues and their interpretation. These last two gifts, in some sense, go hand in hand, and they really have to do with languages. The first is the ability to speak in different languages. The second is to interpret them or to translate them. Paul uses a phrase that is very common in the Old Testament, and it's a phrase that just means simply languages, to speak another language. It is not only referencing the miraculous gift that we saw at Pentecost, where there were various people who started speaking in other known human languages that they did not know, but it also includes the ability of some people to learn different languages. I knew a few people who very clearly had this gift in seminary. You would give them a Hebrew grammar, and a week later they're translating Song of Songs or something like that. Various people who go throughout the world and translate the Bible into different languages. Various people who go throughout the world and speak in many different kinds of languages. And this is an important gift to the church because the the spread of the gospel is dependent upon Christ being proclaimed everywhere. That's the only way that the gospel is going to go throughout the world. And so Paul is speaking here about the ability to learn, speak, interpret, and translate other languages. Some people have the ability to speak in other languages, but they don't have the ability to write or to translate. Some people have more the ability to translate and to write, but not to speak. And some people have both. Paul is simply talking about those kinds of things. These are various spiritual gifts. But what do they show us? That Paul is not just describing something that only happened at the very beginning age of the church. He is also not describing a set of gifts that is only connected to the miraculous. Again, is it, is it part of the truth that we find in God's word? What is the Holy Spirit doing? Often the Holy Spirit is working through the normal and the seemingly mundane things to equip and to build God's people for the common good of the church. In conclusion then, how should, this, how should we leave this text? It should convince us of a few things. The first is this, that the Spirit gifts the church for the common good. And we are to share what the Spirit gives to us with the rest of the body of Christ, for the good of the body. Secondly, this, we ought to be content with our gifting. We ought to be content with the way the Spirit has gifted us because we see the sovereignty of God even in the gifting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We believe that God is sovereign. He has gifted you the way that he wants to gift you. You should not be discontent with your gift. You should rather pray and seek to develop How God has gifted you for the good of his people. And just as the gifts given to us are of grace, so we are reminded that the entire body of Christ is to be one that is dripping with grace. Why is the church different than any other society in the world? 
because it is the sovereign God who has, in his grace, created the church. He has brought it forth out of grace, and it continues to grow and be blessed for the glory of God, all because of grace. We are saved by grace. We are given these gifts by grace. You know, the word charismata, it it really, the first half of that is just the word for grace, charis, the Greek word for grace. It means you are graced with a gift. We will be glorified and saved ultimately. Why? Because of the grace of God, which is always evident in the body of Christ. Not only because we share in Christ and all of his blessings, but because we share with one another the things which God bestows upon us in grace. May it be our prayer that by the power of the Holy Spirit we discern our own giftedness, we see how we can be of benefit to the body of Christ, and we do it joyfully and willingly, all for the glory of God and the good of his church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your salvation that you give to us in your Son. May you send us out into this week prepared and ready to stand up to all the wiles of the devil. May we be an embodiment of your truth and your gospel to all those whom we meet. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us stand together and sing.